What is up, Podheads? This is Nate with the Body of Slave Podcast. It's episode 43, and it's a brand new year, 2021. Hanging out with my friends, Tuan and Tone. How are you guys doing today? Good, man. Happy New Year. 2021 is insane to me, just the, the visual of it even. Yeah. Hopefully it'll be better. I think we'll get some uh, some nerdery out of 2021. Can't be but worse, can it? Oh, yeah, it, it can be anything can be worse. You're right. You're right. Don't jinx it. But anyways, yeah, I wanted to uh, showcase our, our uh, socials. So if you want to find us there on Instagram and Twitter, we're at Patio Slave. So we're pretty active there. So check us out there. Always talking about different things. Um, but we got a cool thing to talk about tonight. A few things, actually. Yeah, so we got a couple set list items. But uh, the main segment is a segment we're calling Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. So if you remember last week, we did the uh, three album run. So this is the counterpart to that. This is the other side of the coin where this is bands that you know, might have had two good album, the two great albums in a row, and they hit a roadblock. I think for a few of these artists that we're going to pick, they some maybe never recovered, or maybe they had a couple in a row later down the road. But uh, yeah, we're going to focus on that pretty much that roadblock album. And, uh, you know, Greg last week mentioned like a Wilhelm scream and a couple others. And uh, that got us thinking, let's, uh, let's have let's do a full episode on this. So pretty stoked to do that. But before we do that, what are we talking about? We're talking about save our stages. Yeah, we get some money. Some money going out to the stages. What, fifteen billion as part of the COVID nineteen relief package signed into law last weekend by uh, outgoing President Donald J. Trump. Pretty exciting stuff for our our indie music venues all across the country. Um, places that are very near and dear to our hearts. Places we grew up in. Um, you know, getting some of that relief. Pretty pretty exciting, right, Nate? Yeah, super exciting and actually very surprising because um doesn't seem like it'd be much of a priority, unfortunately, but uh, I guess it made the cut, the cut, you know, these venues are essentially landmarks. When you think about it, they were built, a lot of them were built, you know, as far back as the 1800s, late 1800s, of course, but near and dear to our hearts. Like you said, I've, we've gone to so many different shows. A lot of the experience of seeing live shows is the actual venue itself. So I uh, was very excited to see this. Dave Kroll on the Foo Fighters Instagram made a little post about it, and uh, he's obviously stoked about it. He's a nerd as well. Yeah, super, super happy to see that. I just didn't think that was even in the realm of possibility, to be completely honest. Yeah, it was like 15, 15 billion, and I was reading into the fine, fine print that it'll cover, I think you have to apply for it. It's like a grant, so I don't think it's a loan. It's a grant, Yep. and they'll cover six months of payroll, rent, and, and whatnot. So this is huge. I mean, this what I was actually thinking about is our local venue here in Portland, Maine, that already shut its doors. You know, are they can they jump on this, you know, that type of thing. But yeah, Grohl is big behind this. And, um, you know, it takes some of those brand name dudes for people to pay attention and get this, uh, this type of thing approved. Yeah. I'm glad it was, it was added. It's, it's a big, it's a big section of our economy that has just lied dormant since March when all those doors were closed, whether they be, you know, the big Ticketmaster Live Nation owned venues or the small mom and pops that hold five, six hundred, seven hundred people. So to for those people at that smaller level to pull some money back in and, you know, be able to put food on the table for the next six months, keep, you know, the roof over their head in the cold winter months in the northeast here and in other places, it's awesome. And maybe it allows us to get back to, you know, six months from now where most of the population is vaccinated and maybe it's, you know, brighter days and we're, we're back at concerts, even outdoors, but uh, you know, situations that we can see live music in and these indie venues that we, we love. Yeah. And you just brought up a good point too, uh, the live aspect of things like 
there's always some lobbying behind the scenes for things to actually, you know, make it past the goalposts. So I wonder if, you know, Live Nation was behind the scenes on this, knowing that, you know, their powerhouse and for the bands themselves, for the, for the talent to make money is touring. So there is light at the end of the tunnel with this passing, knowing that, okay, everyone's lobbying to make this happen. Clearly the live music is vital to everyone's, you know, financial health in the music industry without these small venues, even, you know, they still, they still pull in some pretty good revenue. So it's inspiring to see this. And I think there's some, you know, some big players behind the scenes that, that help push this forward. Otherwise I, I wouldn't see this to be any kind of priority at all, especially because a lot of these venues are all of them for that matter, for the small venues are going to have to be uh, retrofitted for, covid measures even with a vaccine i feel like so we'll see well i mean it, it actually almost it, it almost goes against the interest of the live nations and whatnot because they're the big venues right so th these are yeah i looked at the fine print and for you to be eligible you for, uh, people that can apply they have to have had lost over 90 percent of their revenue in the last year which so nate the, the whole lobbying thing like selfishly these live nation gigs want these small potato places to go out i would I would imagine if you're looking at it from a monetary fiscal revenue perspective i don't know i'd have to really think about it i'd have to think about that i think yes and no on that and i think yes because they want to be the only game in town but a lot of their games are big venue aren't going to be pulling in those those acts that play at these smaller independent venues the ones where yeah. those you know we've talked about this in the past where the, the small artists become the big artists because they cut their teeth in these places. So, or, you know, acts that are on their way back down that play in the, or like to play every now and then in those smaller venues. I know ours state theater in Portland, Maine that we, we talked about frequently on this podcast had Queens of the Stone Age there a couple of years ago. And I mean, they're, they're bigger than that venue can typically would hold. Um, they'd go play places for far bigger than 1400 people. So those are the types of things we don't want to lose with this, but yeah, maybe maybe they'd be happy just to be maybe scoop them up if they all went under. I guess would be the way Ticketmaster and Live Nation might think about it, but they're not going to be able to write the second, which is good. No, no, exactly. What you just said, Tone, and, and the question you just asked, Tone, to me, is that's where my head was the whole time. Which is, you know, they're either these small, tiny venues are either owned by Ticketmaster, kind of behind the scenes, is like a third party. I don't, I don't want to say shell company, but you know what I mean. It's owned under the umbrella of Ticketmaster Live Nation. Or this is just conducive to like an M&A, like a merger and acquisition of these small venues like where it's all going to be under the same canopy at some point anyway. And, you know, some bands only can fill certain rooms and they're not going to build new venues. I'm sure they'll retrofit them. I think I've talked about on this podcast in New York City, Times Square, like there was a Nokia theater that was a brand new theater. Back in the day, you know, those theaters were legit theaters, like state theater that you mentioned. So I feel like, you know, they already have the locations, location, location, location. So if the real estate is conducive to draw a crowd that's all it comes down to so if they hold on to that and then funnel money into it and then boom the whole you know state theater independent venue is now Ticketmaster, live nation amazon state theater it's all brand new but yeah the other thing that that i wonder and and tuan kind of brought it up a little bit is uh, that venue port city in portland maine that closed among others of that size that closed down mm -hmm. a lot of those venues or real estate situations haven't really put anything in there because everything has been stagnant there hasn't been money hasn't been capital to toss into those real estate situations so you know port city i'm sure still looks like port city on the inside could that come back is it something that maybe down the road we get to see some of these 
places that you know shuttered for the time maybe they didn't shutter forever that'd be kind of exciting yeah no i and i i, I hope a venue like that can still possibly take advantage of this and again I, where do you draw the line like it's a venue that closed last year pre-covid assume they're not eligible type of thing right right yeah i mean this is this is massive like i, I guess getting back to like the 15 billion you know the whole punchline here yeah i mean if this means our venues are saved for the foreseeable future i'm all in and and i yeah. don't have to, and, and they don't have to crowdsource it so a lot of venues did that and i wonder if even those venues are eligible for this that's a good point yeah if there's some kind of like you know line drawn in the sand where where you were what you did did you shut down are you still staying afloat somehow there'll be people that take advantage of that though you saw what happened with the ppp loans right true yep <laughs> i i don't want to be cynical about it but we know that's going to happen but, but all I, in all positive right very positive thing for for uh us and things that we love especially if it's a grant if it if it if this isn't just another loan because loans have to be paid back yeah no absolutely yeah i i I can't help but think that it's it's got strings attached to big business and that's why it's happening otherwise it just doesn't seem like and this is me trying not to be cynical it just doesn't seem like it'd be priority unless it was attached to some kind of long play that's why i think it's a an m&a merger acquisition yeah, these venues, it's great real estate it's right on the main strip. It's downtown New York City. State theaters right on Congress Street. You know what I mean? If it wasn't that and it was like some, I mean, I feel like some of these dumpy venues in the middle of nowhere may not get the same, you know, the same access to this. I don't know. We haven't looked deep enough into to how it looks, but I feel like there's going to be some cherry picking here. We'll see. Well, I just read that publicly traded companies and other large businesses are not eligible. So at least oh, on wow. the surface, it, it looks positive. Hmm. That's huge right there. Yeah. Okay. This is just positive for the, the music industry on the whole. From the bottom, yep. you know, the little guy all the way up to the, the big guys that have the big venues and are able to put, you know, huge concerts on. This this is only continues a place where those small acts can turn into big acts and we need those places still. Yeah. Plus we need a place for the Patio Slave podcast roadshow to tour. So Yeah, yeah, we're not in the big venues yet. Yeah. My guest room isn't that big. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ho- I mean, home studio, home studio. Yeah, go ahead. So that was um, that was obviously like top of mind, big news this week. Another headline that we saw that made us smile, just because we we actually called this happening. Maybe not with this band, but uh, the starting line announced that they're gonna press three of their recent in studio. I think it was in studio live performances. Yep. On vinyl, and uh, I think there was a podcast back in may that may have called that and i think that podcast was this podcast you're absolutely right it was this podcast and i think we were talking about at the time i think clutch was doing their first live stream or had announced their first live stream and we said this is just an opportunity for bands to you know recoup some of that money that they weren't getting playing in those small independent venues across the country that were closed because of covid so Another way to do that, okay, you paid you paid 15 bucks to watch the live stream for a weekend or whatever, and now, okay, we'll record the live stream, we'll throw it on some wax, maybe make three or four different colorways, which I'm, I think Twan said verbatim, and here mm-hmm. you go, guys, thirty two ninety seven. come buy them. You can get all three for 100 bucks in a t-shirt. Like, let's go, let's do this. So, yeah, it makes complete sense, and we definitely called this six months ago. So is it just one one show, three three colors, or is it three? I don't. I don't for the the specifics of the starting line one. I'm not 100. percent I just I just saw it and thought, well, hey, wait a second, this was our idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're definitely listening. Someone's listening. 
It's like we keep seeing these predictions come to fruition. They should but, be um, listening, Nate. They should be because we just keep coming be. up with great ideas. Yeah, help me help you, Jerry Maguire style. Yeah, no, it's cool. I mean, the reason I've always loved live albums and the reason a lot of the times I've gotten into bands because of their live album, just like we talked about with Greg getting into music from the live show, is it kind of captures a, a time capsule for what was happening, you know, in that time time frame. So COVID times, you know, we'll look back hopefully at, at this time as like a crazy, unfortunate time. And the music that transcends then in a live format pressed will be like, damn, remember this? That was that was a trip to get that on wax is, you know, it's a memento of, you know, difficult times, but none, nonetheless, a memento. So. Well, if it's an album, maybe they play through an album you love and yep. you like the way it sounded and you watch the live stream for 15 bucks or whatever. Are you looking at what I'm looking at, Tuan? The, the full on like breakdown? Yeah. And actually yeah. you just they nailed got a it. lot of stuff here. You yeah. just nailed it, Tone. It's, it's full albums. It's three yeah. different oh, well. per- performances where they play, um, I think direction and the best of, and, Based on, on a true story. story, and the bundle is sold out. If you want to get all of them for seventy-five bucks, so twenty-five a pop. I mean, that's that's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah. And you just think they paid to get it printed or pressed, right? And then the rest of the money is probably going straight to the band. Yeah. My thought is, we're headed towards. We don't need, and we've talked about this too. We don't need record labels. These people are going to do it on their own. As long as they have a relationship and a strong enough fan base to sell out a pre-order, they're going to be able to put out you know, vinyl pr- packages with pre-orders and all that fun stuff. And the money's going to go directly to them, which isn't a bad thing, I think. I, it sucks for some of the record labels that um, small independent ones like that. But for the big ones, they've made enough money over this time. Like, this is the, the new way of the world, I think, with technology. No, totally. It's a good time, good opportunity for everyone to, to pay dues, have money go to where it's supposed to go. You know, you think about it, it's like a lemonade stand. Like, that person made the lemonade, the money goes to the directly to the to the kids or whatever, to the band, for the for the presses and, and the effort that goes into it. I mean, at the end of the day, like when you write the music, you know, you're the founder of that of that product. So you should get the money. You should get a majority of the profit, but it hasn't been that way. So the fact that it's going in that direction is actually pretty inspiring. So I think we, uh, we've called a lot of these things, but this is one that's, that's come full circle. So, um, and speaking of the, of the albums being played front to back, like that's something I've always really enjoyed, you know, seeing totally. that in person so to to get that now if more bands jump on that bandwagon i'd be all about it like heck yeah when it's a banger album you want to do that right when it's a front yeah. to back which leads into our segment later but yeah yeah when it's a front to back you definitely want that so i i got a confession when i saw this headline and this is not a knock to starting line because i like the starting line i mean i remember being into them when i was younger and, and really liking it but my confession is I immediately thought, who the hell is going to buy this? Like, who who's going to buy this? And then I really thought about it in the sense that, you know, they're doing the full album, which is, has appeal. I'm looking at the visual, and the artwork's awesome. They get different colorways. And while I'm not, like, you know, at 35 into them as much, if this was, like, a band I'm really into, I, I would totally scoop this up. Absolutely. And I am into them. I, I, I don't want to come across like that i mean i love what say like i mean it and based on a true story and no they're they're a cool band it's not a knock on them at all you're just saying if it this isn't the only one of these we're going to see then you got to pick and choose right, right. i mean that's totally. the hard part for yeah. people with a maybe diminished income because of what's gone on or less income or no income depending on the situation so yeah you're not going to just be like yeah i'll buy this and that and this and that because there's so much awesome because it is awesome but you gotta we gotta pick and choose <laughs> unfortunately yeah 
well, everyone has their devoted fan base, right? We always check out the metrics on Spotify. So a percentage of that fan base that's listening is going to pull the trigger on that for sure. Yeah. Um, and I can't, I can't help but think about show regret. I think we were talking about Jimmy Eat World and how they played like Futures front to back and Bleed American front to back. And like, fuck, I didn't, I didn't see these shows. So if they were to pull this and put it on wax, it's a, it's a new way to listen to the album like live, you know. And if they kill live, then it's like, oh, oh yeah, that's that's coming with those. They they haven't announced mm-hmm. it yet, but I mean, they they have. What one star? I think there's one in about two weeks, um, and then they have them every two weeks or so through the middle of February, for yep. what Clarity, Bleed American, and Futures, and those will get pressed if they sound good. Obviously, they got to totally. see how they go, and if technical difficulties happen, they won't do it. But if they can record it and it sounds good, you're going to be able to buy Futures live from where they're doing it in you know the middle of January or whatever it is, middle of February. So that's that's definitely coming. You're welcome, Jim Atkins. Well, well, not only do you have to like pick, like if, if a lot of bands do this, you have to pick and choose unless you have, you know, deep pockets or unlimited income, but also the band themselves, like this isn't like something they're going to keep doing. Like I know like some bands like what Pearl Jam and uh, Dave Matthews, they're known for like having live performances on CDs and whatnot. And yep. you're right. There is a core that will buy every single one of them, but at some point it'll have diminishing returns, but kudos to them. The visual presentation is stunning on these albums. Yeah, it's cool, and and it's you're right, Tuan. That's uh, Pearl Jam, even going back to like Grateful Dead and Dave Matthews, Bruce Springsteen. There's a lot of live stuff kicking around for those bands. This is a tangent. I remember getting all those Pearl Jam CDs in like what freshman year of high school of all those live shows. Yeah, yeah, freshman sophomore year of high school. I remember loving Boston because that was a tweeter, which was was down in Twitter, I think, right? And then the Seattle show was always the one that you're like, yes, this is awesome because they're at home. Kierina. Yeah, that was cool. Oh, totally. That was, that's a tangent, sorry. But yeah, I love, love those uh, live Pearl Gems. That was like my first foray into like getting really into live albums was those Pearl Jam albums in 2000. No, true. Well, especially because it's like, it's a way out of the show regret. It's like, oh no, I can still check out this show and mm-hmm. feel like I'm there. So it's very futuristic in a lot of ways because now it's COVID where we can't see shows. So it's kind of like all you get, right? So you get that, you get to have this fake, not fake, but somewhat authentic experience. Um, the Pearl Jam ones were great. Yeah, I remember that 2000. They've recorded every show since then for a live tour release that they put out on CD and digital format for the fans, which is great. I remember buying those too. And one I bought like this, I think I bought the Seattle one too. I bought the Boston one and I bought uh, the one that was on my birthday, like May 26, 2000, which was like in San Sebastian, Spain or something. Yep. And just hearing like him talking between songs in another country. I'm like, oh, I need to see this band in Europe. But yeah, no, it's, it's cool. Um, obviously, these are different because they're live streams, but you know, we're, it's 2020. So hey, oh, they're getting creative. And it, again, if you're a huge fan of whatever the band is that's doing it, you're going to shell out. The, I'd, buy, I'd spend 75 bucks on three full live stream albums for sure. Yeah, I do that for Jimmy World in a month for sure. Yeah, it just like you said, Twan. It's gonna eventually run its course. Like you can't, you can only do it a few times, right? You're not gonna re-record Futures front to back like twenty times. Like yeah, it's gonna, it's right. <laughs> it's gonna be a time where it's like, all right, we did that. So yeah, it's even like the um the performances themselves, and we talked about this I think last week or the week before. Like yeah, I'll check out uh, Stephen Jenkins in his kitchen once, but that might be it. Right. Yeah. Which I think he did, right, in his living room. He did, yeah, with with Chris Reed a couple times, and they were cool. And you know, they're a half an hour, forty five minutes. But like, if he did it every week for six months, like, I'm not gonna check out every one of those. Like, how off, how much of that can you do? Uh, you, you, I want the real thing. 
like that we've talked about numerous times. I want to be there. I want to see it. I want to feel it. I want to see the people around me enjoying themselves. That's what we love that shit for. So this is tiding us over until then. Cool. I'm down. But obviously it's it's a means to an end of getting us back out there so that's that's what we want i did notice one thing during this this little portion of our our podcast tonight we always joke about nate's hints and those are great but nate's analogies are pretty damn good the 11 stand one that's the 11 8 stand one that's pretty damn good bro (laughs) i love it thank you thank you thank you appreciate it i'm stepping up my game you know nate's hints it's become a joke so i kind of keep it you know on brand Yeah, they're, oh, you should lead into that because yeah. Nate's hints don't exist, and Nate's analogies <laughs> are great. Good point. Good point. <laughs> it's 2021. I'm turning a new leaf. Actually, you know what? They're polar opposites, kind of like this segment and comparing this segment to last week's segment. Yeah. Ooh, good. Good. Oh, Is man, that a segue? segue. Oh, we I haven't done Twan, a segue in so long. Tuan takes the crown for <laughs> segue king for the new year. That's awesome. So what? What are we doing, Tuan? You segued it. Give, give it to me. So we're going to do the two out of three ain't bad segment. So this is the ying to last week's yang of, uh, you know, bands that for this segment will be bands that definitely had two great albums in a row. And then um, I don't know. I mean, it could be a misstep. It could be just a good, not great album or it could be a flop, you know, and we'll get into that a little bit. But anything you guys want to add before we jump in? No, that's that's a great analogy, and it, it goes hand in hand with our episode forty-one that we had with Greg uh, about you know two weeks ago, roughly, and w- the one we did way back in May, I think, right, episode ten. So, yep. when I this this was a thought for me when I was doing this, the research for episode ten, I wrote down a bunch that I thought might have three album runs, and then went back and like cross reference with the albums, and I was like, oh man, they didn't have one. They didn't have one. Wow, I'm kind of surprised by this. And I'm gonna see. I'm gonna file these away. Let's talk about this later. And we were we been talking about an episode tonight. This is what we came up with, and I'm kind of excited about it. It's not a. It's not going to be a negativity surrounded talk. It's just more. This is a good album, but it didn't didn't fit those other two, and didn't lead us to that three album. He's on. He's on fire. Kind of run. Yeah. No. Totally. And I hate to bring this old. Uh comparison back up with the food thing but it's like when you go to a restaurant and the food's always good and then like you go like that eighth time and it's like ah it wasn't good that time is it the chef what's going on or maybe or maybe your taste buds changed maybe you yeah uh, oh great 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 point that could be it too you've been fine dining around new york city you know you get you know you get sick of the uh (laughs) a dollar slice (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) exactly so we have three bands we did tell each other because we wanted to research them a little bit what yep. what do we who do we want to start with? Hmm, spin the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, spin the wheel. All right. Green Day. Yep, that's a good Ooh, call. Ooh, like that. Green Day. The OGs from NorCal. So, Green Day. We we've talked about them a little bit. It's been a while. We settled on the first two albums be, that were we thought were really good were ones that were formative for us: Dookie and then Insomniac. Right. Thirty Nine Smooth is good, but obviously is young and they're not really polished and there's some obviously misses there it's 20 songs long whatever and then kerplunk similar um you could see them growing a little bit but it's not it's not a front to back by any stretch dookie is a front to back like just a downright classic of a punk punk pop punk album put them on the map made them household names for the first time it ended up happening again 10 years later but made them household names for the first time and then insomniac was just you know another arm of dookie just another great tight front to back record not a miss on it. And then Nimrod, right? Which we don't, none of us hate, but we have thoughts. Nate, you want to lead off? Sure. Yeah, I'll lead off. <clears throat> this was actually one of my first concerts 
at least for a major, major recording artist, was promoting this tour, Green Day, Nimrod, in Lewiston, Maine, uh, at the time, kind of a crappy venue. At least it wasn't, you know, they didn't keep up with the venue that much, so it was kind of like run down at the time. Uh, so I was stoked to see the band, and I remember this album and being pretty young, so obviously in retrospect, like, I just liked anything. I didn't really have a whole lot of education on what was good, what was bad, what was semi-semi okay. And looking back, like you said, Tuan, our tone on these albums for Green Day, this was, like you said, not a miss, but it wasn't really a, you know, front to back. I love. There's a lot of songs on here that I really like. You know, you got Nice Guys Finished Last. Was that the first single? Can't remember. First song too first... on the record. Yeah, first song. So I feel like they were kind of still hanging on to their roots, which is great. You know, I think you referenced. 10 years later, so obviously American Idiot in 2004, uh, they kind of changed altogether as a band. So I still feel like they were still true to what they were representing, which is, you know, SoCal or NorCal punk rock. Yeah, this album's just not conducive to a listen through. And it might be, there might be a lot of elements to it. Maybe they're lost in their writing sessions, but it's also, I mean, it's 18 songs long. So there's that. I don't know. What do you guys think? So for me, I, I think I think I agree. I think the length of it is is my issue. I think it's yeah, it's you know, there's four or five, six songs in the middle that kind of are similar. And like if this had just tightened down to about twelve songs or eleven songs, as opposed to the seventeen, eighteen that it was, eighteen, I think, I might have liked it more. I might have come back to it more. It's not bad by any stretch. It's it is kind of an extension of that uh dookie insomniac vibe, but it's not as good as those two for me. Like nice guys finish last is great. Hitching a ride is really good. Redundant's a cool song. And that, that actually kind of leads them into more of the warning sound, which comes out after this. Yep. I think that's, it's headed that way. Obviously good riddance was huge. It was their first really, I mean, not first, but probably mainstream hit. The other ones were more rock radio hits, long view basket cates, et cetera. Uh, when I come around, but good riddance was like, who wasn't playing good riddance in 1998, right? It was everybody. So um, but it's just a little, there's enough filler there that it's like, okay, I can't listen to this front to back every time I come back to it. Like I would those other two. And that's why it doesn't get the three album run status. It's the roadblock. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I, I do agree. It's the roadblock. I'm probably not as high on this album as you guys are. The thing about this album, when you compare to Dookie and Insomniac is the production changes big time on this album. I yeah. skimmed this album today because I um, obviously had this when I was 12 and probably liked it a lot. But the production, it's so polished that it takes away from the essence of Green Day. And this is the start. And I just, I'm going to coin this term, party of slave coin term. This is the start of their arena punk era. Like this is, this is arena punk. And, and you know they made those songs for that big stage. It just, it's a whole different vibe. I think every song sounds the same. Every song has that massive driving drums that just carry the song. It just sounds the same. Has some good, you know, some good songs like Nice Guys Finish Last. Actually, the first, you know, two, three, four songs are good. But I mean, who's listening to a 50 minute Green Day album? Not me. That's long. Yep. It's funny, the same producer for Dookie, Insomniac, and Nimrod. I love the real time. Yeah. Yep. Well you were you said that, so I had lo- I looked it up. I didn't know that off the top of my head, but Rob Cavallo. Um really I mean, I think I agree with completely and I love Arena Punk. That is perfect. 
it's them. It's it's Rise Against. It's My Chemical Romance in the later half of the career. Built for those they the big stages they think they're going to get to, and and did. I mean, Green Day did. My Chemical Romance did. Um, Rise Against was fairly big, uh, to name some of those bands. But yeah, it's that's a good. I hadn't thought of it that way, but in listening to it and then hearing you explain it, yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah, it does. And actually, in retrospect, like dookie they played madison square garden right so they were they were playing giant venues for dookie two albums prior but this album and actually brings up a great point because i wonder if they just always have the label pressure because american idiot is just all day arena stadium rock right it's just not supposed to, that's not small punk rock you know small dingy venue like we were talking about earlier that are getting saved like it's just not even it wouldn't make sense uh so this album for sure and then even with the song Good riddance, time of your life. I mean, that was like the finale song for Seinfeld, the biggest sitcom at the time, right? In uh, was it '98? Yeah. Uh, this is this album dropped in '97, so that's that kind of makes sense. But I wonder if there was just if it was more label pressure, or if it's where they were. I mean, they definitely like changed on this album. And Insomniac and Dookie were straight up punk, you know. So um, still a killer band. I like referencing that show that I saw for this for this album. It was more punk seeing that show than any other show that I saw after. And obviously they got even more commercial. Um, not that they weren't with Dookie, but I don't think they were trying, like to your point, Twan, I don't think they were trying to be commercial with Dookie and Insomniac. Nimrod, it seems like there might've been a little more pressure and then American Idiot, obviously it's... Well, Warning's you know, in there too. You forget about Warning. Yeah, yeah, Warning too. And Warning is a little more subdued, a little more laid down. back. Yep. Yeah, and, and almost at times folky punk. <laughs> which True. is yeah. completely different than your arena punk, but they jump right back into the arena punk era, uh, situation with, with American Idiot. My only thought there in hearing you talk about it, Nate, is yeah. Nimrod does not have the cohesiveness that American yes. Idiot does. American Idiot is a concept album, right? And True. there are some different, it's very polished. There are some very, very different sounds and thoughts on that record that we did not get with Nimrod, right? Yeah. No, that's a good point. You know, I always consider or compare punk rock to like stand-up comedy. It's like you only have so much roadway. Like eventually it's going to get stale or you don't fit the part because you're old now or whatever it is. So I always wonder like being in a punk band must be extremely difficult because you're even if you're super successful, you kind of have to like eventually go with the times. So and maybe that's why they changed. I don't know how that works. But it's like you want to straight stay true to your core so you don't have a roadblock like this. But at the end of the day, like you got to make a living. And I mean, I don't know. It's, it must get super complicated. That's why I think Pearl Jam works is because they just write timeless music where Green Day might write timeless music, but they can't do it at their current age. They're, they're a punk band. They're supposed to be young and vibrant, right? Yeah, so. but I would, I, well, I disagree with that they couldn't do it because they did do it. They went from writing Dookie in 1993, 94 to putting out American Idiot in 2004. Those are completely different wavelengths. Like they're not. Yeah. But one, would, you, one but would is, you call American Idiot punk? You know what I mean? It's, it's a whole different. Exactly. Yeah. True. Yeah, yeah. And that's what happens band. with punk that's what happens with pop punk bands for sure. Punk bands maybe not so much, but pop punk bands for sure. They need to probably change sound or do something like American Idiot to stay viable in that genre, right? There are good bands that have done it. We've talked about the Menzingers. If you listen to After the Party, that's about turning thirty and not being a drunk idiot in your twenties anymore, like most of us are. So they, that's exactly what that's about. After the party, the party was your 20s. Your 30s, are you going to be an adult? You got to like do normal things and not 
you, you can't have seven beers on a Tuesday night. It doesn't work like that anymore. So <laughs> bands that can do that are really cool to me. There are, there are few and far between in this genre for sure. They, I'm going to call back to what you said earlier, which is, yeah, they did play Madison Square Garden or that size off Dookie. But guess what? Th- that album was written before they were at that level. They never th- saw That's that true. coming. They never. There's yep. no way. I mean, I don't know. Like, what size venues were they playing off Kerplunk? I mean, clubs. No, dude. Yeah. Especially clubs. on the East Coast. Definitely clubs. So, yeah, it's just a whole different. They were in a whole different stratosphere in their songwriting process. And, um, and, and that shows, to me, it shows in Nimrod, where Insomniac was almost a throwback. I think they said, fuck you. Like, like yeah. jaded. That's. There's nothing even like that on Dookie. Like, that's a throwback. Good point. Go to yeah. our core. Yep. Where Nimrod is the, we're getting older. Well, actually, Warning is the word. Get, warning is that we're in our 30s album, I feel like. I don't know what their yeah. ages were, yeah. but something happened. We like to say that something happened. And you, something you, talk, happened. you talk about Jaded. That's probably why Jaded wasn't played by itself. It was played at the end of Brain Stew you're on right. the radio. Like, screw you guys. We're going to put it out as two songs then. If you're going to give us this one and a half minute, uh, you know, jam, just absolute sprint. Yeah, it's complicated, you know, as fans. You know, as music nerds, you know, digging deep on, on what happened, we, we always wonder, like, what actually happened? We don't actually know. And we always wonder, like, is it the band or is it the pressure from the management, you know, the label? Who knows? Would they continue to write albums like Dookie or, like you said, Insomniac was almost like going backpedaling in a lot of ways, which I think is great. Maybe that doesn't reflect well for the for the label. And they're like, well, you could have done these numbers, but you did that. So now, look, it's working against you. Do you? You know, do you want four mansions or do you want one? Especially so. late nineties, right? Like when the money was just everywhere. God damn, best economy ever. So yeah, I don't know. It's the punk thing just always is so per, you know perplexing because it's it's such a young thing. It's like not supposed to be longevity unless like you're like a rancid where like the music is very kind of on the same level throughout their whole career. Like Green Day is like up, down, sideways. Um, and that's probably why they're one of the biggest fans on the planet. But as a true core Green Day fan, as we all are, we just have to be honest. And this is definitely a roadblock, unfortunately. And I and I think a lot of it has to do with the longevity of it, which I used to think was a bargain as a young kid. Like, oh, nice. I get 18 songs for 12 bucks instead of 12 songs for 12 bucks. But yeah, now it's more like the full piece. And it's there's a lot of filler. And it's it just doesn't hit yeah. like those first two, especially yeah. Insomniac. Yeah. It could be it could be shorter. So Nate, you remember when we uh, discussed the Incubus Make Yourself album, where we kind of looked at release dates of singles and things like that? Well, I'm looking at yeah. the release dates for the singles off this album. And "Nice Guys Finish Last" was actually the last single released, and it was Hitch released. Hitchin' a Ride first. Uh, Hitchin' a Ride was first. The interesting thing is, "Nice Guys Finish Last" came out two years after. So this tells 99. me that wow. in '99. So this tells me that this was intended to be milked. Mm. this was release an album 18 songs and tore the shit out of it i I feel like that was the play with this album yeah great assessment i'm looking at it too right now and it's like you know we were talking about a few episodes ago about pre-covid like promoting getting ready to promote an album all the you know things that go on behind the scenes a world tour merchandising licensee deals all that shit 97 to 99 that's a good stretch of time to like milk the shit out of it in terms of revenue and all the things that go along with it. So yeah, you could be very much on point with that. I think you're actually right. So, something that, that makes 
me th- pause though is why release that song was that song even supposed to be a single because it was the lead off to the album and anybody who listened to them at the time had heard that song a million times at that point because they own the album right and they was this like a know, soundtrack play right it, it, and i think it was Maybe yeah that's was it. it on a soundtrack i think it was on a soundtrack too i'm, and back, I'm gonna look it up but. I'm, I'm, it was i'm getting back into the bushes here the homer Simpson. <laughs> i'm pretty sure it was on a it was on a um varsity blues. it was on a soundtrack was it varsity blues yep just pulled I think, it up yep yeah so maybe they were like hey shit let's throw this on varsity blue soundtrack and let's throw it out as a single that's a what tan. it was yeah that was tan. the first that was the first song yeah exactly fucking tan <laughs> yeah mr davis will you di- go to prom with me <laughs> Twan, you're so on point. It's not even funny. This is a this is a uh, Deftones White Pony repress with you know back to school because we can sell more records and work it into people, kids going back to school and play on that. And I love that movie. movie though. That movie's great. We do. For what fun Varsity Blues? Yeah, Varsity Blues is awesome. Oh, oh yeah. Movie. yeah, and great soundtrack too. Amazing yeah, soundtrack. Yeah. Yep. Foo Fighters on there. A few others. Yep. Uh, you know what I did notice listening to this today? Um, we talked about it with Greg. He brought it up when we brought up Green Day towards the end of uh, episode 41, how Mike Dirnt is kind of the harmonizer for Billy Joe. I noticed yep. it listening and two things hit me. One, I had, I heard it, which was like, uh, somebody that I had talked to about music had said this to me and that I heard it from Greg, which like, that was just made me smile. I was like, oh, Greg told me that. That's cool. That's awesome. That is cool. Cause he knows the recording process. So it's like, that's very vital to the album sounding full. Right. So. From the horse's mouth, you know, from the, from the the musician's mouth, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's that's what Greg was saying. Oh wait, Greg, Greg told me that. That's really awesome. <laughs> like I would not have awesome. thought of that otherwise. I've been listening to Green Day for twenty five years. I would not have thought of that otherwise. That's awesome. Yeah, he's the Jerry Cantrell of Lance Daly for Allison Chains, Mike mm-hmm. Dirt to Billy Joe Armstrong. It's cool. All right, we ready for the next the next band? Yes. Spin the wheel. We got two left. Spin the wheel. Nate, you want to spin right. the wheel? Pick one. Yep. Sound right, effects. Spinning. Yeah. Do 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 do. Oh shit! No whammies. You don't. You don't want to pick one. There's only two left, I, bro. <laughs> I spun it super hard. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, a dollar. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, a perfect circle. Ooh, Ooh. nice. Who wants to go first on this one? I'll lead off. I, I got several thoughts. So you, we're you talking, of course, about the uh, the first album, Merida Noms, the second album, Thirteenth Step, and yes. then. They tripped on their 14th step and put out Emotive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, we both, we all, I think, love uh, Meridanoms. We've all spent a ton of time with that. That came out 20 years ago last year, right? That, that just had a 20-year milestone. Yep. Great record. Um, really cool going back and listening to that a couple times this year. And then 13th Step, I loved it. In the moment when it came out, listened to it a ton, a couple of really cool singles, and then you know, just front to back albums, both of those albums, you can't really touch them. They're just perfect. You, you're not going to not, you're going to skip a song. You're going to listen to the whole thing from the front to the back. Emotive comes out and it's partially covers a couple of, um, a couple of songs that they had worked out with other bands, maybe passive, I think is one of them. It's not bad. It's cool. It's a different Avenue for them, but it wasn't like those other two records. Like it, it, you're not going to put that on, listen to it straight through every time you might grab a song. You might grab passive. You might grab when the levee breaks. You might grab a few others, but you're not going to grab this and start at the beginning and listen all the way through. So there are some people that might be in the camp to say, hey, you know what? This is largely covers. It's not a full length. So if if this never existed and you went to uh, Eat the Elephant, would 
I think the run still ends, right? Eat the elephant yeah, doesn't definitely. get there either. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right, we're on the same page then. I like emotive more than eat the elephant, uh, and mm. I need to give eat the elephant another another try. But yeah, uh, emotive had some different things on there that were for me, but eat the elephant not so much. Yeah, it's complicated. I mean, for this album, I think I think everyone. That's a generalization, but I feel like everyone felt the same way about this album. It's like it's a bunch of there's a lot of covers on here. Those first two albums were so good, you know, just like masterpiece albums. So to go from this, where I mean, literally the first single was Imagine, which is obviously a cover of a John Lennon song. And the second single, Passive, uh, was actually a song, believe it or not, was a, a tapeworm song. Trent Reznor and Manor James Keen's side project that never came to fruition. So that was a song off that album. So he got permission to release that onto this to eventually have some light of the day for that project. And uh, they're both okay. And obviously, I imagine it's a timeless song. But the album overall, I remember hearing it for the first time, being like, ah, ah, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, shit, like, after 13th Step, like, you think it would just lead into this natural, like, crescendo of amazing, powerful, immersive music. I mean, that's a, both those first two albums are a trip. And uh, I was just in Arizona and went to Maynard's Winery, and they have a bunch of signed stuff and all this cool nerdery at the tasting room and and the emotive stuff. It's like, you couldn't pay me to, to buy that stuff, but I'll buy the first two album stuff all day, you know, and Tool and his other projects too. But this album is just like, it's, it's uh, I hate to say a miss, but it, it, it changes the, the cadence of this timeless music, which is rough because everyone in this band is, you know, classically trained and Maynard's obviously, his voice is just so, so powerful. So um, it sucks. It's a, it's a roadblock and it sucks to say that. And I, I know this is all subjective, but um, we're all in agreement that this is just not to the same caliber of those first two albums. Just kind of, it hits like a screeching halt almost in a lot of ways. So I'm going to bring up an idea that we, or a discussion that we brought up in a previous episode, which is, is this a case where the band set such a high bar that they handicap themselves in f- the future catalog? And where, what I mean by that is, say a band came out, so say Perfect Circle comes out, their debut album is Emotive, and you're a big fan of Tool, what do you think of it? What, what would you guys think of it? Would you think it was a dud? Or do you think the reason why this is a roadblock is because the first two albums are so good? I would have probably thought, Maynard is waiting for the guys in Tool to finish the instrumentals so we can get another Tool album. Here's an album album of covers with some other musicians. <laughs> Just to throw together. That's yeah, that's what I would have thought. But That's a good assessment. There I mean, are it's good songs on this. Yeah, it's basically, yeah, no, actually that's a good point. It could be like a album pressure, like Maynard, you're the star of Tool. Make a solo album, call it something else if you want, like Foo, Dave Grohl with Foo Fighters, like call it a band if you really want. Just do a bunch of covers, like do something, put something out there. Like we're waiting on the other guys and it's just, it's getting really annoying. So yeah, it could work in that way. But even then it's like, cool, Maynard put out a solo record with a bunch of covers. Like it might work, but I mean, man, Merida Norms and 13th Step are like, I kind of compare it to like really good drama movies that like you're so embraced in the music, like you're taken away. And after Mm -hmm. I I left Maynard's uh, winery, I played 13th Step on the drive home, like in the dark and in the, in, uh, Arizona, I'm like, man, I can, there's nothing else I'm thinking about except for this music right now with Josh Freeze's like amazing drum work and everything. It's like, it's, uh, it's like Tool, right? It's very like, it gets all your senses. Well, like, they, yeah, yeah, and they have, they have some cool artists in that band. James Eha was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy Howardell, also really cool. Yeah, those are. Where's the guitar tech? Right. Those, those guys are 
very and Josh Freeze, obviously we've talked about his his uh, prowess on the drums in the past with, with Scott Russo way back, way, way back on episode 11. So they they made good music together. And this isn't again, this isn't to say this is bad. And I think what that's what Twan's trying to get at with the if they drop this sure. off first. Do you think, oh, man, this is terrible? No, I probably am like, this is cool. There's some cool songs on here. I'm excited for them to put out their own album. I think is where I would my head would really go because um, yep. the, the Imagine cover is good. The What's Going On cover is good. Passive, I wish, was a tapeworm song. If you go and look on YouTube, there are a couple of versions of the them doing this live, and it's way angrier, and it sounds way cooler that way, I think, unfortunately. Yep. And it would have been cool to hear it that way instead of hearing it the way that they ended up recording it, but I don't hate that version. And then the, uh, the remix of Counting Bodies Like Sheep, which was what... Uh, and a song from from 13th step they they remixed yep. and that that's a kind of electro electronic almost and it's got some funkiness to it there's some good stuff on here it's just not front to back i do the more i think about it i do think there is that handicap going on like like you said you you maybe wouldn't be as down on it if those first two albums didn't exist and the reason i'm doubling down on that is like if you listen to murder noms that's not an album that they just went into the studio and busted out that's years it had to have been yeah. years in the making because it's just you don't you just don't come up with that on the spot and that's the thing is like if you look at the timeline so murder noms comes out in 2000 and then 13 step 2003 and then emotives to rate back in 2004 and eat the elephant was what just a couple of years ago fairly, maybe? fairly recent yeah 18 maybe so there's no excuse for that <laughs> no yeah. and Go listen to Three Libras and tell me that isn't. I mean, that's a, that might be a top five all time song for me. I just, yeah, absolutely slays me that song. It's just so good. That's like a brings bring tears to your eyes type melodic masterpiece. Like, oh my god, Maynard's like got one of the most incredible voices in music history type thing. One thing I got to bring up is you know, Perfect Circle. It's not really showcased that much, but it's at the end of the day, it's a super group. You know, you think about the band members mm-hmm. in here. Yep. Tim Alexander, Josh Freeze, Danny Loner, Paz, Lachanton, Troy. Troy White. was in uh, Failure. Yep, yep Troy. Yeah, and they covered a Failure yeah. song on 13th Step. Yeah. Yep. The Nurse Who Loved now, Me. Great, great song. And now he's in Queens of the Stone Age. But to your point, uh, Anthony, these riffs from Billy Howardale, like he was a guitar tech for Tool, I believe. I'm doing this by memory, so I could be wrong. So from my recollection from like the nerdery pre-podcast, just geeking out, and that's why we did this, is he was like putting it, putting music together as a hobby because he's an artist himself. And eventually like brought it to Maynard, like, hey, what do you think of this music? And Maynard is like, I think it's good. And he's like, cool, I'm looking for a singer. And eventually obviously came full circle. And was like, Maynard's like, oh, I'll do it. And that's why it came to well, came to be. And then so. Billy Howardell put out his own record. What was the name of that band? Ashes Divide, right? Ashes yep, Divide. Exactly. Yeah. And and then Maynard taught Billy how to sing because Billy was very like, I don't know if I can do this. And exactly. They, yeah. So it kind of came full circle there. Perfect circle. Yeah. I wonder what it would have been like to be a a, a tech for Tool. Yeah, I don't know. You're like setting up Danny Carey's drums. And you're like, oh man, I, this is too far away. He's not going to be able to reach that. Now he'll be able to reach it. <laughs> the guy is a monster. <laughs> Got to so. be on time though, right? Yeah, especially yes. with that setup. Jesus. Oh, so much stuff. So Ooh. much stuff to put together. <laughs> In precise locations, measurements. But yeah, I think we can all agree that a perfect circle is an amazing band. And this album, I mean, who knows? I think all our assessments are right on cue. 
and I think maybe, and who knows, you brought this up before, Tuan. This might have been a, a way to satisfy a deal, I feel like. I mean, it just Could didn't seem like it felt the same crescendo of their first two albums were such masterpieces. Like, how do you just put out a essentially a covers album when you could just keep that same cadence of amazing masterpiece music, but even if it was written prior, at least instrumentally, so... All right, want to spin the wheel one more time, boys? Even though we know what it is and <laughs> we're ready to go on it. But we love right. the wheel. Yeah, it's all. Yeah, spin yeah, that wheel. wheel. Beep, 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 beep. All right, cool. Head PE. Head PE. Wow. Nice. So you probably noticed the theme here. These are really legacy acts, right? I mean, the youngest of these three bands is APC, which is 20 years old, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. So we'll do a quick recap. So the albums we're talking about are what? Self titled. Self titled. From 97. Broke, broke from, from 2000. 2000 and then blackout, blackout 2003 all on jive all on jive records i think so yeah yeah yep yep Nate, you want to lead off sure yeah um it's it's awesome you say legacy band because it's like head pe is to some considered kind of like an underground metal rap rock punk rock whatever you call it band conglomeration but, um, yeah but we're all big fans and, and obviously for for good reason i mean they kind of made their own sound in a lot of ways and those first two albums are amazing, especially, I think the first one is still my favorite. But uh, yeah, this album is uh, a roadblock in a lot of ways, I think, mainly because it actually makes a lot of sense, actually, in retrospect, because the first one's like super punk rock, funk rock, just out there, underground rap rock. Broke is like polished, but it's pretty, pretty rough lyrically. And I mean, I'm surprised it was ever even on the radio, to be honest. Those songs on there are just brutal lyrically. And then Blackout comes out. We're all like hardcore fans at this point, ready for another album that's either just super explicit or heavy or whatever. And um, can't help to notice that this one's just, it's watered down, right? I, I, I'm trying to think of an, an easy way to say it. It's watered down and maybe it's label pressure, like we're saying with the Green Day, Nimrod album. It's just different. You know, for me, reflecting on the album, it's like, it just doesn't seem cohesive as a as a piece of work. Like the first half is something the second half is like a different thing there's songs in here that are kind of like left field which is okay a lot of the times but for this band it's like i mean they were like an Ozfest band right so it's like you have like these other side like a like a ballad type thing which is great because jared actually can somewhat sing on that song well the meadow um, listen to the meadow the meadow and broke right too yeah but there's something about it that just seems watered down like it's just like it seems it almost seems forced in a lot of it's ways because it is it's because it, it is. is yeah it's, yeah. it's factually were, that's exactly what it was they were told to be more radio friendly oh shit and okay. they did it um either a to satisfy a record deal or b to maybe play bigger venues make more money like probably a little bit of both right so nate i i did a little bit of research before and, and even on the blackout wikipedia for the album mcud basically said that the label forced production to force the polished, more polished production to force a new metal sound on them, and like st even down to changing song structures, you know, it's one of those That's, things where wow. it's, you know I get back. We always we talk, talk about Greg and like the Sugar Ray Fly thing. It's like it probably wasn't to that yep. extent, but we always talk about context is key. Two thousand three. I mean, Limp Bizkit's still big, right? Yep. So they're still the benchmark, you know. And there's even reference to that in the wiki where it's like they were looked at as maybe becoming the next Limp Biscuit. They, they didn't sound like Limp Biscuit, especially not on self-titled. <laughs> like there's uh, there's just yeah. I think uh, lyrically there's no no comparison, I think. There might be some sonic comparisons because 
of uh, who's in the band, but lyrically, I think go back and listen to uh, Darky and, <laughs> and tell me that something Fred Durst would ever be able to pull off. <laughs> no fucking way. Or Ken 2012. No fucking way. No. Uh, those songs just fucking shred. Uh, Serpent Boy, uh, you know, but the, the, the list goes on for that first record. IFO, Ill, fuck, man. Just a great oh, record. God. And then Broke. Broke is is the more polished version of that, but it is definitely still has those themes like waiting to die and bartender and killing time. They're heavier, and I think Serge is on that, right? Serge is on killing time or feel yep, good. No, it's feel good. He's on. And Mor- Morgan from Kitty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a little bit more connected compared to self title where they were kind of making their way. And then this comes out, and Blackout's obviously the radio single, and the rest of it doesn't really. There, I, I like if you you get to the end of the album. Carnival's really good. Revelations is really good. Those songs are cool. Those songs would fit on other head PE albums from before this. The rest of it is definitely, you guys need to sound this way. You guys need to put out records and songs that will get you played on the radio and get us paid, get us all paid. Where I think the the Limp Biscuit comparison go gets back to is like with Limp Biscuit, you have Nookie, you have Break stuff, but then you have the ballads, right? Then you have what was the rearranged right so it's just a whole almost a whole different band where like with head pe you get the the heavy songs but then what was it the meadow off broke you know they they showed they could do that so you almost in a lot of ways you could almost see this coming if you really paid attention to broke yeah but i mean on broke they were allowed to be a little more of themselves whereas on this one they were like basically yeah yeah and then the the album after this, only in America, is like a complete spin in the face of that, on a different <laughs> label, I believe, too, right? Like they were done with with Jive, and yep. uh, was it Sub Noise? Maybe I think they were on at that point. They've been on Sub Noise before, Koch. yeah. Is that what it is? Koch? Is that how you say it, Koch? Maybe, right. yeah. Yep. Koch, yep. And and that album, I mean, lyrically, <laughs> has some has some troubling situations, but. We listened yeah. to we listened to it a ton when it came out because I was twenty one or twenty and didn't think of the world that way. Um, nothing I would ever you know act upon, but definitely some listening to it in the basement drinking Jack Daniels because I was twenty and that's what he did. Uh, we <laughs> saw them on that tour, Nate. Right in in uh, Portland, they played the station. Yeah. Downstairs. Um, only time I have ever gotten a black eye at a show. It was during Waiting to Die. I absolutely cold cocked some kid, and he reached up to grab my shirt and punched me in the face <laughs> in that tiny little sweaty pool hall. And I was like, <laughs> and then I think after we were trying, me and our buddy, our mutual buddy Mike, uh, who uh, was is living in Florida now, he and I were running around uh, near your apartment, Nate, trying to get in with our bottle of Jack Daniels at age 20, like a bunch of idiots. So <laughs> the cops are driving by, we're like, oh, what do we do? Let's hide in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> fucking stupid we were stupid 20 year olds man now so many points uh and so many assessments that just make sense and it's it's sweet that we're older now we can like kind of look at all this stuff in retrospect like a they're on jive records right so jive records is you know backstreet boys britney spears head pe if you listen to um self-titled and broke it's so left field from mainstream plastic bubblegum selling music that i'm actually i'm still just completely just thrown off that they got signed by jive out of all the oh, records totally like this would be you. like a road right this should have been like a roadrunner band or something back in the day so it doesn't really make any sense at all the only thing that does make sense is what you were saying tuan which is 
ooh, this is a Limp Biscuit cash grab. Let's sign these guys because we might have the next Limp Biscuit, so we could be a multi. I mean, literally, Limp Biscuit went, I think, diamond, right? So it's like, you know, go where the money's hot kind of thing. But uh, yeah, in terms of like album pressure, I mean, Broke, I remember when they were touring for Broke at PE, the closest they came was Boston, so major market, not secondary market, Portland, Maine. And the club they were playing was Axis. And I remember being on a school night and trying to peer pressure my buddy to drive us to the show because we didn't have a license at the time uh, in Spanish class. I was like, hey, let's go. Let's go. We got to go to the show at the Axis. And he didn't want to go. I'm like, fuck. And then so you think about it with Blackout, they're playing the state theater. So that's club to theater. So that album pressure does pay dividends for the band. It's like the label's like, hey, do this. Your advance goes up because now you're filling bigger rooms. So take it or leave it. Like this, this will work for you financially. And it sucks that that's the way it goes because it affects the music. But if it comes to monetary value for the band members, and if you think about it, like this is their career for us, it's like listening pleasure. Like it doesn't affect us financially at all. It sucks that that's the way it plays out because had they just stayed true to broke and self-titled, I mean, this might have been you know not a roadblock, and they maybe would eventually graduate to playing theaters and maybe even arenas, who knows, or stadiums like Limp Bizkit, who knows? Like, I don't think so. If they had straight, stayed true to, to the broke and self-titled element, that's not necessarily like arena rock. <laughs> it's supposed to be small because it's pretty uh, explicit. I guess that's just the way it goes, especially in this time. I mean, 03, you got to think about music industry was the stereotype then. It was, you know, big money. This is how you do it. The formula was set in stone. And obviously that's all thrown for a loop now in 2020. We we're talking about earlier with, you know, the artists essentially owning their rights to whatever they want to do now. This is yeah. 03, so you stick to the grid. Yeah, and they, and they, I mean, I'm not sure if they would have ever gotten any bigger than they did at this point, or maybe after right after Broke, because yeah. they came back on their own at a couple of different record labels that allowed them to do whatever they wanted. And, and they had some songs here and there that were good, but they never kind of hit those highs of broke and or self-titled so i think that you know that young vibrant energetic something to say something to get off their chest those first couple albums was was um you know gonna happen then and not any any other time for them it's interesting like while you guys were talking i'm just trying to think of like the progression from album to album so you have self-titled which is definitely has punk roots like you can tell they grew up in that yeah there's punk there's metal there's funk it's it's kind of all over the place broke is more polished but Ray from Dead Kennedys is featured on one of those songs in guitar. So like you can tell like that that's not something that they just hey, you know, let, let's try to get this guy from Dead Kennedys on the song. Like they probably know him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not one yep. of those things. So like yeah. they still have that kind of punk ethos. Definitely more hip hop on more hip hop beats in some of the songs, right? In in Broke. Yep. But Blackout it loses any essence, the real essence of any of those, I feel like. It's just I don't know. Even the visuals. I don't like, what was it, an eyeball with like yeah. a... Felt very polished, but also like, let's be different. And like, that's never good. Let's polish up something different. It just doesn't work. <laughs> be, yeah. be you. Be you. No, this is a great way to put it. Let's polish something that can't really be polished for it to be real and genuine. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you can't like make, you know, rancid play arenas and, you know, sell t-shirts at Walmart. It's just not, it's not what it's supposed to be. And that's what I think this... But JC Penny, they're all about that, selling those T-shirts. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I'm looking at the Wikipedia right now. So suck it up. Use an EA Sports blackout. EA Sports getaway. EA Sports NASCAR Thunder 2003. Like there was definitely like some contracts 
played into make this album because this is what we got lined up. So if you don't do this yeah. this way, then this stuff goes away and then you don't get the royalties or you don't get the advance. Or, and it sucks that it's this way. And it's cool that we can talk about it because we can look at it through this lens because otherwise we wouldn't know. But it shows in the music and it sucks because it, it, it hurts the music and it hurts the band and obviously hurts the legacy of the artist itself. Yeah. So that's tough. That's a tough hang for them because they're like, oh man, we were made to do that so we could cash the check. At the same mm. time, like they're cashing the check. So I can't really fault them for that. I'm not like mad about it, but you're right. It's like this. I want this to sound like the other stuff I like by you guys with maybe a different tangent here and there, but not, not bent towards radio so that you can make your money on Madden 2002 or whatever. You know what I mean? But what is comforting is like if you read anything about this album. Yeah, they hate it. They, yeah, they they knew what it. You know what I mean? Like they tried to fight it. Like that was. Mm-hmm. I think Jared was just like I pretty much got over uh, outvoted. You know what I mean? I got outvoted. Mm-hmm. Like we were in a deal, and they wanted us to go new metal, more polished. Listen to the the, the lyrics of uh, Carnival. I think it's about this this whole situation. Know your enemies oh, really? well. They're in the next room. <laughs> just there you go. Fucking with you, like. <laughs> It's yeah, they they're trying to mess with you while you fall asleep. Yeah, no, totally. And that's exactly what happened to you know what he wanted to do musically here. One more thought on all this is like, and I again I say this all the time. I feel like we've talked about this on the podcast. At a pivotal point like this, no one wins because their core fan base doesn't win. And then yeah, it just wasn't. There were no like major singles for this for like the the casual fan to right. be hooked on this. So no one wins. And then. That's why you see only in America. Uh, their intent was to make it as uncommercial as possible, is a quote that I read. Mm-hmm. And it was. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, and then that's a default because then it's like too far left yeah. rather than too far right with the commercial thing. So it's like, ah, oh, you didn't stay in the middle, which is why you got big in the first place and why you right. built up exactly. this you know, organic fan base. Had you just, let's say you'd never signed. The weird thing is they signed, <laughs> signed with Jive. Like if they hadn't yeah. signed the jive, this may have never happened, you know. Maybe, but imagine, uh, imagine if Blackout and Only in America had a baby. That album would have been badass. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I actually would have got broke. At this, you would have got broke, bro. Would have gotten broke. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and you know what? Another album like that wouldn't have been terrible at that time. I, w- I would have liked it. We'd have been down. I mean, looking at the track list, like Crazy Life, that's a song off Broke. I feel. I feel like there's some songs that are kind of sprinkled right. in. From you like, are totally the, right. Crazy Life is very broke, very broke-esque. Yeah. Might be a broke B-side. There's some that are, like, written for this album, some that are literally, like, who knows? I mean, I'm looking at the credits. It's all written by them, but, uh, I mean. Yeah, I do. I use air quotes, written by them. They were told to do do this, do that, change this, change that. So, like, they wrote it, but, okay, yeah, take that out, put this here. Like that. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. get rid of all this. Yeah, funny little uh, side tangent. During this era, so this is 03, we're all huge fans at this point. I'm collecting all nerdery and merchandise around this band at this time, at least leading up to this band, uh, album. And I remember going on eBay and looking for like head PE merchandise or posters, whatever. And <laughs> Jared had a, Jared the singer for head PE, had a eBay listing for his crotch rocket or motorcycle. Oh, wow. A Kawasaki ninja or whatever, like motorcycle. And it was like him in the posting and whatever. I'm like, shit, like, even with selling out to the label, he's still trying to sell his motorcycle to like get some extra cash. You know what I mean? So it's like it just How much that's do what you I mean. really make, right? Yeah, it just proves the point. Like, what are you really getting out of this? You're really kind of you're not really going up the scale that much. So I'm, uh, Nate Nate just trailed off just a tiny bit because I'm showing a picture of my head PE ticket stub yeah. from this tour, April 26, 2003. 
signed by I think Jared and I can make Jared's out the signatures. The big one, the J is Jared. definitely Jared. Yep, the other one's Wes Gear. Wes, uh, guitar, right? Yeah, guitarist. Yep. yep, from the State Theater uh, on this tour. Yeah, I only know that because I studied autographs for so long. <laughs> like, so I'm gonna give the patio slave uh, edge here, which is ner- taking nerdery to the next level. It's also very telling. Three founding members left right after this. Yeah. In 03 oh, yeah. and 04. Like that's and telling. We're not doing this anymore. Yeah. Like this is not what it was. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because Sonny Mayo from currently, formerly from the band Snot, filled in. Uh, for like a Wes. year. Yeah. Yep. He filled in for uh, Chad. Oh, for Chad. Yep. 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 But yeah, that that was a. And again, there there's some songs. This is probably the of the three uh, Roadblock albums tonight that we talked about. The one we maybe like the least, but it's there's still some nostalgia there. There's still some songs I would come back to. I I know I mentioned Carnival and Revelations towards the end of the record. I like a lot. Blackout's still a decent song. Suck It Up is funny to me, especially because when we saw that show, DJ Product 1969, uh, who was still with him at the time, was just holding up this sign that said, suck it up, (laughs) like running around the stage and shit at the show. So, oh yeah, right at the they opened with it, and it was like this is ridiculous, but I kind of love it. <laughs> yeah, you know this tidy venue with maybe a thousand people in it, and and uh, yeah, it was it was of a time for sure, and uh, a lot of this was, and that's what you're gonna get from us here. We we love to talk this shit, so that's probably a good spot to wrap, boys. I think, right? Yeah, unless Nate, you, you have any closing uh, blackout thoughts? Yeah, well, I'm just looking at one more thing, and it kind of goes along with what you're saying, Tuan, which is, you know, just the the fact that it's scattered. I mean, the studios that was recorded in the machine shop in Hoboken, New Jersey, Studio West in San Diego, Solo Studios in Hollywood, California, uh, NRG Studios, which is actually world-renowned studio in North Hollywood. So, sound it looks like just if you're if you're going through that many studios, it sounds like you're just kind of like piecing shit together, and that's not another reason why this album doesn't sound like it's supposed doesn't to be work. one full yeah. Yeah. track list. Yeah, it's just kind of pieced together. Like, all right, this works. All right, fuck it. We got a deadline. We got to make it before we get fined. So we got to put this album out, or we lose our advance, kind of thing, which sucks. I mean, we're nerds. That's the only reason we can like piece this stuff together. But like, it makes sense why this is a roadblock because of the album uh, label pressure, band members maybe you know inner conflict and. It just makes sense and it shows in the music. And it's, I mean, it's clearly a roadblock after those first two albums. It's just like, oh, it's not I remember same. the first time yeah, I heard it. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. So it is what it is. <laughs> it's funny. As we're talking, it makes me think of a few other bands that fit this that we'll save for the next time we do this. Oh, it'll road, come back. Down the road we, for sure. We don't do, we don't do segments that aren't repeatable. <laughs> yeah. We've we've got ideas for all kinds of segments. We've got re- ideas for repeating those segments. So, as yep. uh, I think, what did you just say, Tuan? We're nerdery to the next level. Is that what we take it? The nerdery edge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, that's so a play might... from uh, Greg's musician's edge. Nice oh, yeah. comment uh, of Travis Barker. The nerd edge. Taking nerdery to the next level, right here at the Patio Slave Podcast. Uh, expect it on a T-shirt in the fairly near future, <laughs> or a sticker, or uh, you know, an Instagram post. Who knows? You, you never know where you're gonna see it. That's what we do. Check us out there uh, at Patio Slave on Twitter and Instagram. Email us Patio Slave Podcast at gmail.com. Happy New Year, 2021. We made it. Let's let's make this year better than last year for a number of reasons. And uh, yeah, can't wait to get back out there and see some shows with you boys again. And do this all, you know, nerdery thing for real in real life. Yeah, man. I love all that. 2021. Appreciate everyone for checking us out. And uh, we'll be back next week. 
Peace. Heck yeah. New year, new us. Cheers. 2021. Peace all. I waited that time. Peace, podheads. <laughs> <laughs>